A lot of exciting changes at Texas State University recently, one of them being Texas State Spit Talk, Episode 5, Texas State Texas State Spit Talk podcast is still new to us, KTSW. Welcome to Texas State Spit Talk. My name's Reed Graff. I'm your host of this show. To my left is my San Marcos partner, Brendan Snow. Brendan, how you doing? Feeling pretty good today. Had a pretty, you know, long day hanging out and doing some meetings and panel stuff, but got out of the way. Got the school year coming up now. I don't know if I'm happy or sad yet. Sad for school, happy for football. Uh, yeah, I got the panels. Just knocked some of those out this week. Riley, you were involved in a lot of those panels. Of course, to my right. KTSW Sports Director Riley Chestnut. How are you, Riley? Free me. Help, please. <laughs> oh, it feels good to be here. That's yeah, all I can say. Yeah, well, we have a good show today. Of course, in the studio today, we actually have a producer, Alex Gibbs, back in San Marcos. Welcome back, buddy. So when I, the reason I brought up we have a lot of exciting new things here at, at K- KTSW in a Texas state, right? Uh, this, this podcast is very new. We're only in episode five, growing every week. Very excited about that. Thank you all for tuning in. But we're not the only thing getting new things and some changes. Texas State Athletics is really seeing some big changes. They were officially announced this past week, and I want to dive into this, guys. We're going to start. I mean, they announced things at, Sh- at Strand Arena. They announced things at the football stadium, baseball, everywhere. We're going to dive into all of it and detail what's going on. But I want to start off with the football stadium. Of course, just a few years ago, they renovated the end zone complex, made that all new, made it a, U, a horseshoe stadium. Uh, but now... They have redone the video boards in the end zones. And I I mean, so here's the details on it. Football stadium is getting two high def 36 by 61 foot video screens HD on each side of the end zone on the side towards the end zone complex. I mean, from what I've seen, they look gorgeous. They look more beautiful than Scarlett Johansson on a good day. Ooh. A great day. That's a high bar. That's a high bar. Uh, it's Black Widow, man. I'm really liking it. It's, it's you know, really upgrading this college stadium, which I feel like kind of has weird because it has to compete with the high school stadium and the San Marcos Rattlers. This is a gorgeous stadium. Yeah, it's a beautiful stadium. From sure. a press sure. perspective, it's better. Yeah, exactly. So I think, you know, Texas State needs to be going out of their way to – Sure, their dominance kind of in the area. Yeah, because as we can tell, they're not dominating very many other places right now. But if they can dominate in the look of where the best spot to watch football is, then they're winning something. And I think it goes along with Coach Withers trying to do this rebuild and, and bringing in a new image for Texas State, bringing in new players, new atmosphere. Cleaner. I think adding these screens will just... It's one of those things you don't expect to make as big a difference as it's going to. But I think just being at a game, it's going to add to the atmosphere and it's going to just it's going to make for a great environment. I think that's exactly what Coach Withers wants. He wants a new environment in Texas State. He wants a winning atmosphere. And I think just adding something as something as small as a bigger screen, but they're much bigger screens. We'll get into that here in a minute. It's going to be a big deal. But guys, you might be wondering what's happening to the old screens. We've officially found out the old screens, which are 14 by 26 feet are moving to the baseball and softball stadiums. So you can't buy them? You can't buy them. Sorry, bud. I don't know if they'd fit in your living room, but... That's a big plasma screen, okay? Yeah, that's what Sundays are for. <laughs> <laughs> Saturdays <laughs> are for the boys. Everything's Sundays are for gigantic TV screens. They're going to install a giant video screen on the side of your apartment building like, Group Watch, come on down. We're going to watch some football. But personally, I'm excited about this because the... F- Baseball stadium, the, sco- the board was just broken. It was missing parts and parts of it. There it was, was always pixelated. little black. It, yeah, it was in bad shape. They really needed it. I think the size is going to be a little bit bigger, not a, not a whole lot bigger. It's just going to be nicer. It's now, the softball better. field is going to look great because mm. they've been needing a new board forever. 
Always, always. Softball deserves all of our love. Especially when they're in the top 25 every year. And when they Having win the first Sun Belt. Round draft picks. All it took was them winning the Sun Belt. Yeah, and I think and I, they have also adding new turf. The Field Turf Classic HD 2-inch turf is what they're installing. Real quick, Reed, I'll get your take on that. Them adding turf you know, to the baseball stadiums down here in Central Texas yeah. in the summer. It's hot. I'm an old-fashioned guy. I like the grass and dirt. And they are still keeping dirt on the infield. Um, but it's going to be grass. Where the grass is, it's going to be turf. Um, I personally am not a huge fan of turf on baseball fields, but it is a, it's a lot cheaper, a lot less maintenance, and it does get a little hot. But at the same time, you also play during the very cold parts of the year in baseball. So, um, But down in Texas, can you call those the really cold parts? No, I guess it's like 70s. But uh, the so sun alone will heat it up. Yeah. It, it'll look really good. I've already seen some preview pictures of it, and it's it just looks sharper. Uh, I don't know if players enjoy playing on it more. You'd have to ask the players themselves. We'll find out. We'll definitely talk to them about that. Yes, you have the uh, Strand Arena, how it's looking, the court itself. I'm looking at it right now, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> it looks great. We're going to get there. It's uh, like before a, we move on to the arena, I yeah. want to talk about last thing we're doing about the baseball and softball stadiums, and I'm going to get you guys there. Don't worry. We're going to talk about the new gorgeous arena. Uh, they're also renovating the dugouts, which I don't know if y'all have been in the baseball dugout. They're kind of chippy. Nothing special. It, it Old... Big enough, but it's not great. It's wood, and the wood on the bench is chippy. Yeah, so that's going to be nice. So just the fields alone, it's nice to see Texas State putting some money into it. Now let's get on to Strayan Arena. I, it's going to look great. A new Dactronic 1080p 13 by 21 foot video display on all four sides. A new playing surface with the in the in the middle of it is the, it's the Texas the shape of Texas with the Bobcat logo right in the middle. Super it looks cat. great. It's kind of like an A and M look. Because they have that in the middle of their yeah. court, too. Similar. Yeah. New entranceway. It's going to be a lot more open in there. It's going to look a lot more bright and colorful. Uh, they also have expanded seating. I don't know if you all saw the picture. Brant Freeman, uh, of course, the voice of San Marcos, of Texas State University Athletics, um, posted a picture today from the new view where he said what would have been the wall. Uh, got to see that. see before. Looks really good. Um, it's a cool angle, too. You never thought you would... And think seeing a new angle at a basketball court would make that big of a difference, but it really does. There's going to be light behind it. It's going to be so pretty. It really is. So that brings me to my question. What does this show about Texas State athletics in general, and how will it change things going forward? Uh, well, obviously, uh, getting new courts, new arenas, is only going to help in the player personnel perspective in that now the volleyball team and basketball team have nicer locker rooms. Maybe they can have better equipment better facilities to recover themselves from instead of like old cinder blocks mm -hmm. or old coaches offices that are just too cramped and not really that well renovated. Yeah. And I forgot to mention that they're also renovating the locker rooms for the basketball and baseball and softball teams, which they deserve. They're renovating the coaches offices, which uh, is probably much needed. I know I've saw seen some of the old ones and they weren't necessarily bad. They were just kind of dark. They were, they were like offices. Whereas mm -hmm. now these ones are like, they've got their own space. Exactly. So, um, but yeah, I think I think it shows Texas State's ready to get their athletics department to the next level. What I like about it is the the move that it shows of them showing pride, trying to make it you know where, where's the pride of Texas? Texas does it bigger. Texas does it better. Texas this, Texas that. We, we're in arguments about football. Texas is the best high school. All the youth football, you know, they're up there in basketball. Forget California. Yeah, and up there in basketball and all these other kind of sports. Texas produces. We take a lot of pride in ourselves and in our athletics. In our, in our athletics, so. You know, if you have a university that's, you know, top five in enrollment, it's massive, it's D1, why is it not 
getting looking these as nice. Why is it not getting the attention these other schools are? So I like it as a move, just kind of, you know, show a little bit of pride and dominance. I like what you said. It's, everything's bigger and better in Texas, so why don't we act like that? I really like that. It's a good quote. When you, somebody needs to quote that. Brendan Snow, everything's bigger and better in Texas, so why don't we act like that? Man, Put that on a shirt. I think I've heard that before. I think I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna, That's gonna be the name of this podcast. This episode. Everything's bigger and better in Texas, so let's act like it. <laughs> People in California <laughs> listening, like, hmm, maybe it is. Speaking of the better part, Texas State football's coming up here pretty quick. Rutgers is just a week away. The Rutgers Scarlet Knights right around the corner. Uh, it's going to be September 1st. We're on the road to take them on. Uh, last week, of course, if you've been listening to Texas State Spit Talk, we started this new segment where we're breaking down position groups of, of different different athletic teams here at Texas State. And this week I decided uh, we talked so much about the wide receivers in last week's show. Why don't we really dive into that? Because obviously it's an exciting core. It's an exciting group. Um, lots of new faces that we can introduce to the listeners out there. And of course, some familiar faces and guys that have been around for a while and have really established themselves. We're going to get into all of that. Uh, so let's go ahead and jump right into that. And when you're talking about the wide receiving core as a whole, it's an exciting group. Uh, I, from what we've seen in the early practices and in the spring games and the scrimmages, they've made the biggest impact. They've made the biggest, they've been a wow factor. Riley, you were able to go to their most recent scrimmage uh, from a week ago. And you, you came away saying that the wide receivers are studs. They, they could be. They could be. They have the athletic potential and the big play potential, which Coach Withers has said countless times that that's one of the biggest surprises from this fall camp is how many wide receivers he has out there that can go and make a play. Because naturally in football we think, well, a wide receiver is only as good as his quarterback is at getting the ball to him. But then we see that, of course, you take in the rare instances of a Randy Moss uh, a Terrell Owens who can go out there and just dominate. Change the game by himself. Yeah, and all you have to do is just put that pass in their ballpark and they can go and make it happen. Well, it looks like from what we're seeing with these young guys like Blake Aragon, Javen Banks, who's got nice breakaway speed up the sideline, he's not the tallest guy in the world, but if you get him a good pass and he's got a little bit of room, he can outrun you. And then, of course, you have Jacoby Hopkins, who really can live up to the hop part in Hopkins. Then it gives you a little bit of hope that if Willie Jones just gets a little bit more time in the pocket to look down the field, he knows where he's going to be able to throw it to see a big play. You know, when you start to look at this wide receiving core, the first guy you're going to talk about is senior Tyler Watts. He's a perfect route runner type guy. He's electric. Uh, he's that slot type guy. Um, when you looked at – I have Dave Campbell's open right next to me, of course. Dave Campbell's is a very uh, respected football source. They it's, have Tyler Watts as the, one of the key players – for the Bobcats this year. He's going to be one of the team captains, of course. Um, interesting. I mean, just just an exciting story from Brenham, Texas. Came here as a walk-on, really had to fight for everything. And in the past two or three seasons, he's really solidifies himself as a weapon. Some of the biggest parts of this team, Tyler Watts, A.J. Krawczyk, Ishmael Davis, they weren't offered a scholarship to come play here. They walked on and earned that right. So the fact that these guys now stand here, in some of the final years of their careers, I know for Tyler Watson, A.J. Krawczyk, this is the final year. Ishmael just got awarded another year of eligibility after missing because he got injured last year. But just to see how far they've come and what they've had to endure to get to this point, it's an incredible story by itself. And it really tells what this program is trying to do and that they're on the come up and they're doing it from the heart of what these players are able to bring. So, yeah, that's that's my opinion on it. And I think Tyler Watts is a great guy to look at as well because he's not only a vo vocal part and a pivotal part of the Texas State team, 
Um, he's very proud of the university he attends. Mm-hmm. Uh, he earned his bachelor's degree in management last December. He's very proud of that. He, and he, he is very you know, open and very vocal about how proud of his university he is. And <laughs> it's very rare you get athletes like that that are so bought in. Uh, the last guy I can think of would be Gabe Schrade, who's very similar to that type of guy. Um, of course, the now-graduated tight end. Probably Gabe Lloyd, too. And easy. Gabe Lloyd was definitely that same way. All those guys last year, which Coach Withers went up to them after the season or at some point near the end of the season, were like, when we start making this program into a winner, it's going to be because of the sacrifices that you guys made mm-hmm. to help set the culture right. So take it how you leave it. I know four wins in two years is not great, especially by Texas football standards. It's not even good. It's it's not even bad. It's terrible. But you got to build a culture if you're going to set the right standard to move forward and try and win football games. And it seems like that's what they're doing. And they're starting to finally get that set in place where they don't need to worry about it anymore. Yeah, that's why I'm really excited about the receivers this upcoming year because I think we're going to see the offense open up more than we have before. We saw late in the season last year, Texas State opened up, give Damian Williams more opportunities to throw the ball. He was airing out 30, 40 times a game the last few weeks. I think we're going to see a lot more of that. Not, I'm not saying Willie's going to average 35 throws a game, but it's not going to be, you know, these little 11 for 17 games. I think he's up there, you know, mid-20s, low-20s, maybe 23 of 27, you know, per game, get an opportunity. And I think you have to with these receivers because the receiving core is good. Yeah. Each of the past two seasons, each of the past two seasons, Tyler Watt has had at least 40 catches and 300 yards. He scored a couple touchdowns each year. Last year, Mason Hayes em- emerged on. Before he suffered a stress fracture in his foot that took him out. Over his past two seasons, 25 catches, 346 yards, two touchdowns. Hutch White last year grabbed 15 balls for almost 200 yards. And then if you look at just some of the freshmen on this roster, just looking at them, their, their measurements, their size, it's just it's amazes me. It's physically a paradise. TJ, oh, I, I, am I was going to touch on TJ Graham, 6'1", 175 freshman. Blake Aragon, 6'4", 195 freshman. TJ well, Bedford, 6'3", 195. Yeah, it's, it's, and that's what I'm looking forward to getting into. We're about, we're about to really start looking at a lot of these guys. I want to start, you mentioned him, Mason Hayes, the junior out of Longview, Texas, fin- spent his freshman year at Trinity Valley Community College. He would be a senior. He was granted a medical uh, season, so he's got two more Schmerbos. years el- eligibility. Um, showed some things last year. He he returned some punts. He's another exciting guy. He's bigger, six one two oh five. He's able to go up here. and get it. He's been here quite been a here while. This is this will be his third year. I can still remember the uh, the first passing touchdown of Damian Williams' Bobcat career last year, and that was to Mason Hayes in the Appalachian State game, a forty nine yard bomb that Mason Hayes had caught near his fingertips. It wasn't a perfect over the shoulder running catch. He had to stretch out, and then he ended up diving into the end zone. And at that moment, I'm like, okay, this receiving core has got some nice pieces. And now we've added on. And, well, not we. The Texas State Bobcats football team has added on to where they now got even better pieces. Yeah, we're talking about all the freshmen coming in this year. One of the guys that was a kind of the star freshman receiver last year, we haven't talked about him much, Jeremiah Hadel, six foot 170, had a pretty solid year as a true freshman uh, he came down with – he returned 22 kickoffs for 379 yards. He did a lot of that. He played a lot on offense. He was a wide receiver, a kick returner. Um, rated as a two, two-star two recruit at, by 24-7 sports coming out of a Leaf Taylor High School in Houston. Uh, big guy, athletic, able to go up and get it. And that shows you the depth. Uh, you forget to mention guys like that, uh, guys who are just – solid and you, and you know what you're going to get from him yeah. day in and day out because he's been around and it's going to be pivotal that these guys get going forward and they've got momentum right now 
I mean, I don't know if you've been following the news out of Rutgers and New Jersey, what they're covering, but these eight players now charged, whether four of them are still in the football team, four of them have since been, have left the team with credit card fraud. And apparently you look at it and it's all based off of credit card information that was stolen and found over the dark web. Who goes on the dark web if you're a football player? Why are you going on the dark web unless you're really looking to do dark things? Yeah. Simple. Why is anyone on the dark web? Yeah, it's weird. <laughs> it's it's dark. You don't want to go there. It's like <laughs> when you're a kid and you have a nightlight because you're scared of the dark. Don't go there. It's simple. And now we got eight Rutgers players, four of which are still on the team that could be implicated, and they say there could be more. There's no Yeah, there's no telling that there's not more of that. Uh, look, going back to the receiving core, one of my favorite guys from this past class, it's not Jacoby Hopkins, it's not Javen Banks, and he, he hasn't done a ton yet, but he's going to. It's uh, number 15, f- true freshman out of Stephenville, Texas, Blake Aragon. And you want to know why I love this guy so much? Let me, let me go ahead and read some of the things about him. He's six foot four, 195 pounds. He's going to add on. Slick. Yeah, he's probably 200 by now. Yeah, Named probably. first team all district and the 4A level. Uh, he played for Coach Craig Winder. He helped lead Stephenville to a district championship where they also finished. They got to the state semifinals. In class 4A. 52 passes for 924 yards and 11 touchdowns. Nice. That's all great. Here's what really excites me about this kid. Excels in the high jump and cleared 6 foot 10 inches in the 2017 UIL district meet last spring on his way to a state championship. So not only do you bring in a receiver who can play at the college level, but he's a state championship in the high jump. So you're saying there's your red zone target. So you're saying he's going to be balling out at the rec center a couple times. For sure. I mean, get you get inside the 20 yard line. Bring the kid in. I mean, even if he doesn't see any other action, just say, hey, go jump over that guy. You know? <laughs> Des Bryant, that thing. So, a lot of Des Bryant, vintage Des Bryant. Name in the last time we had a guy that in that mold at Texas State University. I can't think of it. Not in my time here. Not in my time. N- there's no way we've had guys that athletic. And you get to Jacoby Hopkins, one of the top recruits in the class last year, had SEC offers, made a really good play in that scrimmage, Riley. Yeah. Did you take us through that so. play? Oh, man. Jacoby Hopkins, of course, it was, I believe, looking down the field, it was with Jalen Gibson and the second team offense red out shirt, there. Freshman quarterback. Yeah. Well, not true. He's he's a red shirt. He That's right. I said red shirt freshman. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. He was lined up on the left side. I believe it was trips left, and he was the X receiver. And he's just got a simple fly route down the sideline to try and beat his man to get in position to where Gibson can make a can throw it and let him make a play. And so everything goes well. The pocket's protected. Gibson gets the throw off down the left sideline. At this point, I believe that uh, – forgive me if my memory's wrong. I'm not going to get it right. But obviously his D-back was a little bit shorter than him. Mm-hmm. So you have Jacoby Hopkins on the left sideline. And, and he, Hopkins is six foot. Yeah, and he clears over the guy. Like, clears. Like vintage Des Bryant, Green Bay, should have been a catch, clears him. <laughs> hey, that's the ruling. Four years later, it's the ruling. But regardless, he clears him, leaps in the air, pulls it down with two hands, and sets the offense up, albeit they eventually did turn the ball over in the red zone, but he set them up for a first-and-goal situation on that a la Des catch. And it was beautiful. And it's just an example of the athleticism that we have coming here. Another guy that I just pulled up, interesting guy, Shane Carney, coming from Porter High School. He played at Trinity Valley, which is where, if we mentioned earlier, Mason Hayes is from. Uh, Shane Carney standing at 6'4", 200. He caught 13 passes last year for the community college. He's an interesting guy. Uh, just a lot of depth 
at the position. You know, we haven't even mentioned guys like Hutch White, Caleb Twyford, TJ Bedford. Of course, Twyford's going to see a lot of snaps at running back this year. And, of course, Hutch is uh, coming back after last year, our primary punt returner. For well, sure. Which, yeah. Another exciting guy. I don't know if, if, you, if you saw that scrimmage or not, Riley, who was returning punts. Because mm-hmm. I wouldn't be surprised. I, I see them, Hutch White, going back there. He's still solid. He makes big plays. They trust him. Are you talking about who I think you're talking about? I think you know who I'm talking about. Is it Jerron Morris? I was thinking Tyrese Hurd. Oh. He was also an all That guy, you mean the number one recruit from this past secondary. class? Yeah. Talk about secondary guys. He was also, I believe, all-state returner. Yeah, he was. him and Jerron Morris were both really, really good returners. Of course, Morris did it for a two-time. Morris time. coming out of West Orange start. The two-time, until his senior year, Morris had been a part of back-to-back 4A state championships. And I saw him return a fantastic punt. I don't know... What it was for, I know it was with Sun Radio covering, I believe, a matchup versus Wimberley. Jerron Morris returned that baby long, like a 95-yard punt return in a quarterfinal game against what was a really good Wimberley team. So, yeah, I'm excited for what they are pulling in with their secondary, their special teams returners as well as their wide receiving core because it's just looking really solid. You're talking about explosiveness. The last guy I want to talk about before we move on to other things uh, – Jamari Sharid out of Houston, Texas, Cypress Springs High School. Nickname is K-Dot. Five seven, K-Dot, 5'7", 155. Lightning in a bottle. bottle. I love this guy. I remember when he committed, I saw some highlights of him. He would make cuts. I mean, I don't know if you all have seen Travion Williams, Texas A&M play. Or he just make cuts on a dime. You see that a lot from Jamari Sharid. Just So athletic. a killer route runner. Route runner, man, get him on some screens. Run him out of the backfield. This guy is electric. Tyler Watts. Is already calling him the next Tyler Watts. <laughs> I like guy, that comparison. This guy is electric, three-star recruit out of Cypress Springs High School. I mean, that's a that's a very successful high school, and I was really excited about him when I saw he was coming to Texas State. Yeah, I feel like it's going to be a really, really great thing. What these recruits are bringing to the table, because again, they're athleticism. The athleticism, they're competing on every play, better than what we've seen in the past with freshmen in their positions. And while it's still going to take time for them to get accustomed to everything. And you're probably not going to see them as the number one starters first off. Now, they are competing, and that in turn is creating a nice effect on the team where the guys that have been in these positions for a long time now realize, i got to keep working. i got to keep my job, and the only way I can do that is by working my butt off because these guys behind me, who will take over my spot pretty soon, are really, really talented. Definitely feel like you might have to fear a little bit that so many receivers in this one class. Someone's few guys gonna be transferring out eventually. More than likely, uh, you always positions. have to keep that in. We've in always account. seen that in in past, like before last season, the running back battle. You bring in a Anthony Smith, Anthony D. Taylor, really emerging, and of course Robert Brown, and the guy who led the team in rushing yards in 2016, Stedman Mayberry's like, I'm out. I, I can't compete. He can't compete with these guys. No, or whatever the reason was, he just left. He's not. He didn't take another offer for a better time. He's and just that like, also, I'm done. That also might have been part of when Withers got here. He got rid of the guys he didn't want. He got, he wanted guys that were buying into his system. Yeah. And that's probably a big part of the reason why we had just no talent on the field the first few years. First, well, we didn't have no talent the second year. Nowhere near enough needed to win games consistently. Albeit they did make improvements. I know 2-10 and ten against O'Reeds is 2-10. and ten. But they did make more competitive plays, and albeit the secondary is, again, very, very young. So they've got a lot to learn, and they're only going to get as successful as their secondary is going to take them because they can't, if they can't stop the pass, then this team, no matter how good they are everywhere else, unless they get really good at like defense like the 85 Bears, they ain't happening. 
How many times? How many times? <laughs> Can you reference the 85 Bears today? Because they're one of the best defenses of all time, man. All right, guys. Time to move on to something that may make some people mad. Some of you, bo- some of you new Texas State students and some of you old Texas State students, we are talking to you. I want to talk on fan attendance and behavior at Texas State football games. Make them mad, Reed. Okay. Here are the current issues. We have terrible attendance. Yeah. And most games. Yeah. More Even the good programs. Terrible attendance. The good news is soccer had really good attendance from our game. We're going to get to Texas State soccer here in a minute. Yeah. Uh, and even when we have big teams come in, people leave at halftime. No one stays for the full game. Yeah. And that's causing issues because the Texas State, in the, one of our interviews last week, uh, um, they talked about how excited they get whenever they have Fans in the stands cheering them on, building an atmosphere. It was A.J. Krozik. He talked about how he wants you guys there. We, they feed off of you guys. That hasn't been there the past few years. People don't show up to Texas State games. Part of that is because we're 2-10. Well, most of that's probably because they went 2-10. Oh, but even when I was a freshman, I'm getting to this. We went 7-6. and six. We had a pretty good quarterback in Tyler Jones as a sophomore. We had Who actually side. had an offensive line. That we had really good running backs. Killed. Rob Lowe. A defense led by the likes of current NFL players David like David Mayo. Mayo and Craig Mager. Good team. Didn't and we, we finished 7-6. and six. We were bowl eligible, but we didn't get a bowl game because our average attendance was poor. It was terrible. It wouldn't look good on TV. No. And that's that has to change. It has to. But again, like everyone in football understands, it's going to change if they start winning games. That, that's the simple answer. Another part of it is talking with people outside the organization like professors, like, per say, Professor Bajackson. He works with the School of Mass Common Journalism, and he does stats for the football games. And his big complaint is that no matter what, even if we start winning, the fans here still probably might not even care. Because, again, no one comes to Texas State like for a Texas to experience the athletic culture because there's not really much of one from a fan's perspective. At least in the football category, that's what people don't realize is every all of our other sports are are pretty competitive. Are watchable. I mean, I don't even say watchable. I mean, look at the women's sports; they're dominant. They're dominant. We're con- we're every year in do- contending for a Sun Belt title. But the big problem is the two most marketable and money making sports: and basketball. men's basketball specifically. Football has been bad for a long for a while now. Seven wins in the last three years is bad. And last year, at times, the Bobcats men's basketball team's offense was so terrible to watch. In an era, it made, it made I it hard lost to watch. My love for basketball. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> in an era where the NBA popularizes people who lead the league in scoring, like look what Steph Curry's done. He's not a great defender, but he's as famous as he is because he can score. Same with LeBron. He doesn't have to be a great defender. You're more marketable when you're not a defender. If you can score the rock, you're going to get more popular. And this Bobcats team, while the defense is great albeit it wasn't as good as it was the year before last year, it still was one of the best in the country, but no one cared because we can't hit a shot. So that's that simple. Those two sports have got to improve. Otherwise, we're not going to generate enough buzz. But at the same time, there has to be something ha- – there, there has to be some things that can be done to get people in the stands in the first place. More marketing around campus is what I recommend because – That's one thing. You just don't see a lot of that. No. You know, if you go to a school like Texas University – Texas A&M. You can just say it's UT. It's all about the sports, you know? It is all about, hey, come see, you know, when Johnny Manziel was tearing up fields, Texas A&M was advertising that like crazy. They made him they made you pay to get an autograph from a player that can't make They money. got a new stadium because of that dude, because of that dude alone. Now, let's be honest. And here's the thing, they, they 
and A and M even without Manziel, they still every week they're religious there about football. And they every sell w- out the stadium. And every week they're like they're them. a cult. Yes, they are. Their whole university. Uh, <laughs> but they're out there trying to get you know people to go to the games. They're pushing it, they're promoting it. We've seen that here at Texas State, only for the big games, only for the UTSA game last year. Well, when we have that's about it. Yeah. Is that another problem? Do we not have enough like conference Texas teams to play? Because I mean, the Sun Belt, we're the only be, that could be one. We're for football. football, we're the only Texas team. Yeah, we, for the Sun Belt, we, we pretty much self-proclaim our rivals as Louisiana Lafayette <laughs> and uh, Coastal Carolina. And a lot of times, the average fan's not going to know who Georgia Southern is. No, because you know? know the players on South Alabama. Because as we know, Texas, everything's bigger in Texas, including the egos, and at times the ignorance. We only want to focus on Texas football. At the same football. time, if everything's bigger in Texas, we should be dominating. We should. And, and I think that's what it comes down to, right? Got to win. You got to win. win. Got to be victorious. And we're not going to be able to get into a better conference that might appease our fans a little bit more until they start winning and can set themselves and up. And we build better fan attendance. Yeah. Simple as that. Simple as that. Okay. Let's move on to Texas State soccer. You mentioned how they had a great... First off, I just want to give a quick congrats because apparently Kat Connor finally got her master's degree in, uh, in sports leadership. Well, that's awesome. Uh, she, she deserves it. Such a good segue yeah. into Texas State soccer. So she got a personal victory, of course, from Northwestern Universities where she got that degree. Um, Texas State came up with a big victory over UTSA this past weekend. Nice. One to nothing, improved to one and one on the year. We were all there. We, yeah, Me we, and him calling we, it and you listening, there. making sure everyone could listen. So, yeah, all of our takeaways are that was exciting. I mean, the f- until the last minute, yeah, it's like, I what's going the, down? I love the first 87 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> last minute and a half, and then suddenly Kaylee Davis whoop, puts it in. It, it was like, kind of an up-and-down game because Kaylee Davis in the first 15 minutes got a yellow card and then sat the entire first half. Reed, yeah. you're, calling for, you're calling for don't put her back out there. I didn't think they were going to. Cause and had look she gotten, what would have happened. Had she gotten another card and gotten oh, yeah. kicked out of the game, she wouldn't have been eligible for the road trip to LSU in Louisiana. Yeah, the big five-game road trip where they take trips to LSU and Texas. So, oh, she would have she been back by Texas. She would have missed two games. She would have missed the McNeese State game, and then she would have missed the LSU game. Either way, that's what those games are right you now. Need, you need your top scorer for LSU. And you need to fine-tune and get her on the field as much as possible so that they can be prepared to take on those big teams. Nonetheless, she did come in. She she didn't start the second half, but she came back in about a quarter of the way through it. And stuck uh, with it. Nothing really happened. It was a kind of a tug of war for the first, like you said, first 85, 87 minutes. About 88 and a half. And then it looked like Kaylee Davis was like, okay, I'm tired of this, and decided to score. But, of course, she was set up great pass. But um, She kind of wiggled her way around the defender like she was on the outside part of the edge the right, of the box. Outside right box. Yeah. Outside right box, yeah. And so she had a one-on-one. She kind of did a little shimmy move like a mini cross, and then, boop, got the goalie out of position, saw the left side of the net open, and was like, we're banking this one in. We're going for the money, and we're gonna win. Yeah, you had a great environment the entire game. It was loud. It was so. It was packed. It really was. I mean, I expect that with UTSA, but to see it happen in women's soccer like that, it was it was a lot of fun. It's beautiful. It was it was a great environment. It was a little bit of a dull game. Yeah, well, I don't want to uh, say dull game. It, was, it just, was an exciting finish. There was a lot of stuff happening in the game. It was it just a tug of war. It was a very competitive game, as for it sure. should be. For sure. And in the end, they saved the best for last. The, in the, the environment, I could uh, I could hear the lacrosse boys very well. <laughs> my, my roommate I was, was kinda, leading the charge I there. was low-key kind of glad when they left because I'm like, dude, I'm trying to do a broadcast <laughs> here. And you're taking up all my time. I'm just telling you, my, buddy, my, my roommate, Charlie, who was kind of the leader of the vocal, was one of the – he <laughs> listens to my podcasts. 
Oh. It's good. It's good. Well, then he's going to hear that. Like, <laughs> I'm, I love the support, dude, but again, we're right there. Here, I, I, I do, do want to throw this in there. One of my biggest takeaways, how much better UTSA was this year. Last year, they were 3-14. and 14. This year, they were hanging with the Bobcats at every step. Competitive. They were def- yeah, they, it got really chippy at one point. Uh, I thought I thought Genesis Terman and that big old 24 from UTSA were about to get into it. Oh, I still remember the very end collision with with big old 24. Oh my goodness, uh Luchka, Harper Luchka. Luchka. Yeah. She threw her body around a lot. She was 5'10", she was bigger than pretty much every Bobcat on the field. And at one point after that game-winning goal and the Bobcats are just trying to keep it so that UTSA can't get a shot off in time because now they only have a minute and a half, it's like just don't let them get a chance. Harper Luchka came down to one of the Bobcat players who then responded like, get off me mm-hmm. physically, and then put, kicked her in the back of her gluteus maximus, however you want to scientifically it say it. It got pretty physical. She and got a yellow like, card for it. Yeah, and it's like, get off me. And that's the rivalry right there. That's that chippiness. And then, of course, the celebration at the end of the game. The Bobcats storm the field like, yeah, of course, they're celebrating with Kaylee like she won the game for them. She wasn't the only one. Genesis Terman was a big part of that defensive stop the entire way. She had a couple of big saves, probably bigger than Heather Martin, who had seven saves the whole game. Seven saves, that's, and that that really back line really held. Yeah, really, really held. They did a fantastic job. If they, if the when the soccer team has a strength, it's their back line. It's their D line. Yeah, it's their it's their defense. Which you're happy to see after losing Chandler Cooney, that Genesis Terman has For taken sure. that role. And it's running. And, and, with I, and I noticed this during the game, Riley, is that soccer team really has two superstars. They have an offensive superstar and they have a defensive superstar. Every On defense, you have one. junior Genesis Terman, uh, who just plays gritty. She's fast. She's she made a play. She's mean. They were sending a cross up that would have been set up perfectly, and she jumped coming from the left side of the box, jumped up and headed it away from the goal. I mean, it was athletic. It was the most athletic thing I saw on the field all day long. Which thank goodness, because Heather Martin. I think she was still in good position, but to see you been a hard one to stop. You see your defender make that kind of play, and you're like, okay, I feel like you're my new best friend. You're my <laughs> new best friend, and I'm not saying she's a mean person. She plays like very physical. She plays mean. She plays mean, which is what all great defenders probably should do. What in you want to see from the defense? Yeah. Uh, moving on, I'm gonna look at the upcoming road trip. See what you guys think. What do y'all? How do y'all think this is gonna go down? Uh, August 24th, this Friday, they'll be taking on McNeese State. Uh, at Lake Charles, Louisiana, before going to Baton Rouge to take on your LSU Tigers, Brendan. And then they'll come back to Texas to take on A&M Corpus the following Friday. Preview A&M following that up. And then they will be on Longhorn Network taking on the Texas Longhorns September 7th before finally returning home September 14th to take on the new look ULM. Uh, Louisiana Monroe Warhawks. Which game we'll have broadcast? What? Oh, yeah. We will have that one broadcasted Friday, September 14th at uh, 7 p.m. What do y'all think? about that road trip how do you see that going we know last year the the women's soccer team struggled early in the year and then turned it on once we got to conference how do you see that going Riley uh personally I can see wins it's harder for me to see wins obviously against an SEC team and a a big 12 team Mm -hmm. if they can pull that off and beat the teams that look like they can at Prairie View A&M the Panthers, who never look like they're going to be competitive. I think they're still lower level of the NCAA. Mm-hmm. Texas A&M, Corpus Christi, of course, they got a – They usually have a decent team. Yeah. But we sh- that's, that's a team Texas State should beat. Yeah, as good as the Bobcats are. And same with McNeese. I know they're old conference rivals, both from the days in the Southland. Mm-hmm. But I feel like they can get wins in those three, and if they can get a win versus either 
LSU or Texas. Go four out of five. Go four out of five. It's a, it's obviously it's a. I think that trip. I think that's best case scenario. I don't know if they can pull out. They're gonna have to turn on the offense for sure if they want to win some of those games. And the defense again. For sure. Um, I I think I think realistically we're gonna go three out of five. Win those three games against the um, non-power five teams. Uh, but at the same time, I think it's very possible for them to pull out one, maybe in Austin, getting close to coming home. Uh, Make a statement. Yeah, exactly. Say, hey, we're for real. Uh, I think you need to do that. Looking at last year, they struggled early in the season. I think you need to show you're going to be a better team this year. Brennan, what do you yeah, think? Yeah, you got to show up against those big-time opponents. You know, when you get those Power 5 teams like that, you know, those only those are the only two Power 5 teams on your entire schedule right there. You play them in a week time of LSU and Texas. You want to show up there. You want to make something happen mm-hmm. and show that you belong. At, at least make a statement there. Exactly. Uh, that's why I'm thinking for this road trip. I th- I think they take one of them. I think they're going to take the game at Texas. I don't think they're going to take the Louisiana game. I think they take McNeese State. They lose to LSU. That Corpus game scares me because it seems like we struggle with them in, in a couple of other sports. Yeah, they've been pesky in baseball. We think we've lost them in basketball before. We did beat them ago. this last Texas State basketball men's basketball did beat them, and that was the game that Alex Peacock nearly had a triple double. Yeah, so um, the Texas A&M Corpus Christi they get a little pesky. A little worried about that. I think they beat Peer Review. Like I said, they beat Texas close. I'm, I'm leaning four and five. Or four and one. You five. know you can expect a guaranteed win usually versus university because back when Texas State Baseball was scheduled to play and host Prairie View A&M in the middle of their big mudslide towards the end of last season. And then it's canceled due to the weather. I'm like, oh, but we needed that we win needed so that bad. One. Like, no, why are you doing this to me, Jesus? Okay, before we get on to some national news, I want to touch real quick on Texas State Volleyball. Their season's right around the corner. They'll have a home game this Friday at 4 against Marquette University. Uh, it's another, another warm-up before the regular season. Uh, I tend to not worry about any team coached by Karen Chisholm ever. Uh, they're at least going to compete, get to the Sun Belt tournament, and make some noise. What do you guys think? This will be the first regular season game well, against uh, Marquette. Quick what do cor- you guys think going into this season? Quick correction. It's not a home game. They're in Waco. Oh, really? The last time I looked at the schedule, they were home. Nah. They, they must have changed it. Their first home game will be versus UTSA next a week from now, next Thursday, for the Creeds and Crest tournament that they'll be hosting at the new Which they have Arena. every year. Yeah. And of course, so UTSA, much like soccer, will be their first home game. Now, I obviously they're going to be taking on in their first series of the regular season at the Hampton Inn and Suites Waco North Baylor Invitational. They're taking on a very good Baylor team, 16th ranked right now. So you can expect a mighty challenge in that regard because the record versus ranked opponents hasn't been great for Texas State, even in volleyball. As, again, Baylor's a Power 5 school with top 25 ranking. That being said, I feel like if they can pull off victories versus Marquette, and even just Marquette, I'll call it a successful trip. Albeit, I know they're going to want to win, and they will go out there playing to win, but if they can just beat one of those teams, I'll feel pretty solid about it. I think that's pretty fair. Of course, then you come home, take on UTSA, and build up momentum. James Madison, some some teams that we've seen before and we're familiar with. So, yeah, um, looking forward to those. Yeah, and pretty much all the other sports, maybe the exception of baseball slash softball a little bit. Normally, I kind of defer to the the Power Five school. You know, talking you know baseball or basketball, football for sure. Just a little bit of soccer. I don't feel that way with Texas State volleyball. I don't feel like you know we're I, I know we are a group of five school, but a I feel G5. like we, G5 school, we've, I feel like we've been so good. Like, I'm not afraid when we play these big-name teams. 
I'm looking Fair at point. I'm looking at Baylor and LSU, and I'm not chalking those up as losses right now. Looking at them, Fair I'm, looking, point. I'm looking at them as w- very winnable games, and Nate, that's kind of how this team holds their expectations. That's what they expect. We go into the series. I mean, if this class they can take two. If you want to get technical, Texas State has SEC talent. <laughs> uh, new setter Cheyenne Huskies, a transfer from Florida University, one of who is currently ranked number seven right now. In the nation. So technically, we are an SEC talent caliber team. We have attracted big name talent. And again, and that's all Karen Chisholm for sure. The culture, too. She's made a fantastic culture. It goes down to her assistant coaches, whom they have the longest tenure combined assistant or coaching staff in the NCAA at all three levels 69 combined years together. So that bond you build and that culture you said, it's easier when, of course, you have. The same people around you year in and year out who know what you're trying to get across. And it's worked to her advantage. And now that, honestly, Cheyenne Husky is the closest thing I've seen outside of Damian Williams for all the hype that we kind of gave him his way as a big free agent signing, like something you can have in college as a transfer. For sure. You ready for some national news, guys? Oh, no. Nothing happened in national so I'm gonna, We're going to start it off with some breaking news. First off, rest in peace to the writer of Sweet Home Alabama who just died. Leonard Skinner. Well, that's a morbid note. I know. That's not where I was going with that. Rest in peace, Ed King. He's in the show now. <laughs> I don't want to talk anymore. <laughs> so good news. Well, I know it'll fire you back up. You're an LSU Tigers fan. Uh, a few weeks ago, I think it was the first pod, first Texas State episode, Texas State Spit Dog episode we did, we talked about how the wide receiving market is really developing, mm-hmm. what that meant for superstars. Odell Beckham Jr. and the Giants are expected to agree on a record-breaking contract by the start of the season. We don't know what those numbers are yet, but the way they're marking it up sounds pretty gaudy. Uh, what are your thoughts on that, Brendan? It's kind of what I, uh, what I expected to happen. Uh, you know, do I necessarily agree with paying receiver, you know, the most money in history? I don't know, because I was kind of pointing out last week that you don't really need a superstar receiver to win in the league. Mm-hmm. But we they, saw that with the Eagles. But they can help a lot. and you and They're not stopping you from winning, especially if they're not really much of a – you know, as much as we give him the off the field problem, he's not that big of a concern off the field. He's never had really any real problems because of that. I think it goes back to we talked. We also talked about we also talked about there's such a wide margin between an elite receiver and a good receiver. A good receiver is still good, but there's a big difference between an elite guy. And I think when you have an elite guy like that, the last thing you want to do is let him go. I mean, just look at the disparity from what we consider to be a good receiver. Naturally, these guys are in the National Football League. They've all got to be a good receiver by most... Well, good receiver by NFL standards. By definition, and great by every average Joe. Because they wouldn't have a job in the league where they consistently get thrown a ball if they can't catch. Even Des Bryant last year. he Obviously, we all say, and the numbers show, he had the, one of the worst years of his career. But he still caught over 60% which your ca- most average Joes would be lucky to catch, I think, 30% of an NFL quarterback's passes. So these are still good numbers by the average definition. But it's the fact that you have these guys that are like super, super fantastic at what they do. That it trues to be the difference. It's something I always hear in those sports. I didn't hear much here. With, when it comes to New York, playing in New York, you got to have a marketable split star. Mm-hmm. If you lose Odell, you don't have. I mean, your next biggest marketable source was it top ten jersey sales. Saquon, yeah, and then after that, Eli, because he's taken you and won two Super Bowls for you. Exactly. So you know, Odell kind of fits New York person personality. Kind of you know helps him pop off. That's why he gets so much attention by the media. He's by got the sham wow shag carpet hair. Yeah, <laughs> hey, he, he has all this, so he just fits in New York, and I get it for New York. Uh, I agree. With Staying it. on the NFL. 
I'm an old fashioned guy in every in every aspect. Tell me more. Um, I liked the old football days where you could, you know, a very physical game and no one questioned it. You could light people up and no one questioned it. Well, well I do ignorance is bliss. The safety, um, defending the safety of the players. Some of the new rules are coming up with. Have you seen the new NFL tackling rules? Some so, of them are a little overprotective. Oh, it's so dumb. Um, here's the rule. It is a foul if a player lowers his helmet to initiate and make contact with his helmet against an opponent. Well, yeah, I can understand that. But if you have seen some of the ways this penalty has been called, I mean, there was a video, one that I have tagged here. Um, it's a very gray area call. The, 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 yeah. And the like, thing with the uh, like putting, it's your interpretation. Weight, putting your body weight onto the player. It's like, come I'm on. I'm falling down. Where else am I, where else am I going? Where else am I going <laughs> to go? Gravity works in a very simple way, guys. So it was it was the Eagles versus the Patriots preseason game. Number 37, I don't know his first name, Richards is a safety mm. for the New England Patriots, was going in to tackle Zach Ertz, tight end for the Philadelphia Eagles. A Pro Bowl tight end. The So he gets set, shuffles to his left three or four times. Lowers his shoulders. And then puts his head a little bit into the chest but for the most part his face mask is up yeah. hitting hitting Ertz right in the right in the chest right right between the the shoulder blade and the middle of the chest wraps him up and drags him down and while he does kind of end up wrapping around his leg cuz Ertz kind of runs him over um Oh wait that was I think that was Trey Burton Was it Burton? It yeah. was Burton. Yeah, number 88. Uh, nonetheless, it's it's a perfect form tackle. He shuffles the feet, uh puts his face mask right in between the guy's shoulder blade and chest. And it's called a penalty because of this new rule. Uh, I just find that ridiculous. Uh, I mean, I don't know what you guys thought. It's helicopter are. parenting at the worst possible level. It's almost like we've gotten to the point where we've been complaining. You know, I say we, collectively, but you know, just Most people, people, general fans of the sport, this and that, this group, that group, complaining you know, about the safety of football and this and that, and all the concussion stuff, CTE stuff, all that comes up. So you know, we've, get it. we've seen every year them implement something Trying to make it a little safer. Trying to make it a little safer. Some areas of the game is just much tougher to touch than the other. Look how much we've let them get away with the kickoff. We're at the point where we're about ready to give up the kickoff because they slowly each year, one piece, take one piece away, take one piece away. With this, you can't really take away tackling. It's too much of a main Exactly. It's, it's I mean, too much of the Not at the pro level. How are you supposed to tackle now? I mean, just throw your body at them? And, and it feels like almost the refs are like over make, – making these exaggerated, you know, overzealous calls – Maybe, maybe for his intention to say, hey, this is what you guys wanted. Well, and I could see the rule defining crown of the helmet. You know, when I'm, I'm leaning my head forward and, like, tapping the like, top of my head where my hair kind of spins out. Especially helmet to helmet. Yeah, that's a little different. Or even I, I'm, I'm okay with targeting. Targeting is fine by me when it's done right. Um, <laughs> but at the same time, like, now you can't even use your face mask because technically that's using your helmet. To initiate the contact? Come on. I and mean... We saw what happened on that play. This tight end's a big dude, right? And Richards is a is a smaller corner or D-back. So he's got to use his body and lower in that position. Otherwise, Burns going to run right through him. So you're basically making it harder for a good defensive player to do his to job. To tackle a guy twice his size. To like, do his job. And, and, and another thing is, you're also setting up even more injuries. In, and not necessarily head injuries, but think about the injuries to like... Sh- Broken collarbones and shoulders and stuff. Body breaking down. That's, that's, they're they're that's shoulders. They're right shoulder there. hits. You know, they're 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 shoulder tackles. They throw their shoulder into them. They're not form tackling. Now you're taking away form tackling. What's if, next? If this rule was in effect when Derek Brooks played football, Derek Brooks wouldn't have lasted two years in the league. Nope. Because Derek Brooks was one of the best form tacklers the league's ever seen. Or Jake he attacked Lynch. with his face mask up. Yeah. Or Jake used Lynch. his helmet. Or Ray Lewis. Really, a lot of really good linebackers, even still it, today. 
it's making things a it's lot easier on defensive players. And they've had, they've had it just look at the linebacker perspective. Think about it. Back in the day, someone runs, runs a slant. You have free reign to murder him, <laughs> you know, as long as it's a legal hit. And now you have to, like, let him catch it and then hug <laughs> him and then drag him down. Exactly. They're trying to protect the receiver more. I get it. I get more on the, you know, not letting a 250-pound linebacker sphere a 215-pound receiver completely unaware. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, that's not that's not something I have a problem with. But this new target, this new helmet rule, yeah, it's, it's getting so much harder for defenders and stuff, and that's why we just keep seeing. Here's the solution, guys. Explosion in offense. We say now you can't play in the NFL unless you're 40 and over. Okay, we'll have a bunch of older, slower players on the field, so they're not running as fast, going <laughs> head first into each other. It'll be just like the old days when it was just a bunch of old white dudes on the, the football only, field. My first the, o- Chad Johnson. The, <laughs> on, the only flaw with this, Riley, is what do you do with the guys that aren't in college when they still want to play football? They got to go in the military. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that's the solution. Only 40 and up. The NFL is now a 40 and up league. That's it. You can move slow. That way, when you tackle them, it's not like full body force of a young man's speed coming in and killing you Wait, like no. a highway collision. This means Tom Brady can still play. <laughs> yeah. He just hit the mark. He's now joining the NFL 50 tour. It's going to be right. great. I want to talk a little bit of baseball, and then we'll wrap things up here, guys. I want to start off with the Washington Nationals garage sale they're having right now. Of Selling course. Daniel Murphy. Daniel Murphy goes to the Chicago Cubs. Uh, well, the Cubs have made some really good moves. We're going to talk about that here in a minute as well. Um, Daniel Murphy goes to the Cubs. Matt Adam goes back to St. Louis. Um, are there any other players on the Nationals right now you think get moved? Uh, Zimmerman, I think he sure does. Ryan Zimmerman. Or they let him baseball. go. Uh, also, I heard some teams are a little bit interested. Now they cleared waivers. We'll see. Uh, Gio Gonzalez. He's a good pitcher. I, I I used to be a real big Gio Gonzalez fan. He kind of you know I fell off it. a little bit. I hated him when he was in Oakland. The, I like that's why I liked him when he was in Oakland. The he's teams that could really team. use him are. Seattle Mariners, you know, he can be Oakland, a, I would like <laughs> Texas. <laughs> nah, Texas is out of it. They're they're having. Their I know, own but we need pitching, sale. so I'll I'll take Gio Gonzalez. <laughs> I was, I'd like to see someone take him, make, make mm-hmm. him a back in three four guy, maybe for the rotation, go for the playoff. You know what? Bring Bryce Harper to Texas. Hit I was about Joey to say, Gallo, have a what ball are together. the odds Bryce Harper gets moved? N- after not till after this season, in my opinion. Very slim. I mean, after the season, he's a free agent. Yeah, so. so that's the only way he's moving. You don't think that Washington gets anything off of him? No. See, I'm the fan of, if he if you, if you know he's gone, you might as well get something off of him. You know? you, uh, you could, he's a very, He'll be a very high rental price. Albeit, he's coming off of one of the worst years of his career, and it's like every other year he's even an MVP then, candidate, and then boom, he's this guy that strikes out more than he can do Even anything. then, an AL team could... I think I use the Astros. Would love <laughs> to use Bryce Harper as a DH, face him up against right-handed pitchers. Did I hear you pull in a shameless plug there? The Houston Astros. I was said I would. I don't think they're going to make that trade. No, it, it's something I would love to see. You see what team it was that put the claim in? The Dodgers. On yeah, the Dodgers. Put Which that is kind of scary. <laughs> that would be. Well, it'd be scary any other year, but again, right now, two forty-nine average. Albeit he's hit thirty home runs. He, he's got enough. He was Actually, hitting about two twenty last time I looked. Fair point. Yeah, she threw me off. There Still, for a superstar. He's sometimes just too inconsistent. And that's, that's another conversation we can have. I've any other day. I've held off on putting Bryce Harper quite on that superstar tier. He had a one really good year. He's had a uh, couple really good years. Last year he was really good until he got injured. His MVP year was obviously his best yeah. year. His best 2015. League, yeah. Anytime you win an MVP, that's your best year. All right. And then the last thing I want to mention, this is Alex is over here going to be giddy about this. Last thing I want to mention, we were sitting eating lunch, and I saw something on Intentional Talk on oh, MLB yeah, yeah, Network. Yeah. Uh, were they asked, is Cole Hamels the Justin Verlander of the trade market this year? Is he fitting that right, role? Right, right. I see your eyes right now as a Ranger fan. 
Uh, have you seen what Cole Hamill's been doing in Chicago? Yeah, don't remind me. It's four and or in four starts, he's three and zero with was read a zero point seven five ERA. <laughs> I mean, we saw the number. We, we saw the number. He was better on the road this season than he was in Texas because he was getting knocked up in that hitter's haven that is Globe Life Park. So yeah, I expected him to be better once he left. I didn't expect him to be this good. Why does everyone when they leave become good? Nelson that, Cruz that, has forty plus home that, runs every year. Every year, so we, we well, sold him pretty low too yeah. because his last outing before we traded him was horrendous. The marquee, <laughs> the marquee player we got in the trade, Eddie Butler. Why? Eddie Butler's like what twenty six years old and yeah, he's, he, he's in the he's in lead first now. I think he got like a. Save for us the other day? I don't know. <laughs> great, great. You got me a save. Still, the other guy's gone off and given up less than one run each outing since he moved to the new town. It's great. Why? So, yeah, I'm angry. <laughs> I can tell you're angry, right? That's, that's where we have Cowboys now to be mad about, okay? Well, no. then why don't we go and end the podcast right there since Riley's getting angry. You don't want him to say anything he'll regret. Me no likey. <laughs> just, just wait till the last two minutes of every Cowboy game, then you'll be even madder. <laughs> Of course, yeah, NFL coming up pretty quick. We'll be in preseason week three now. Yeah. So, so two more, more weeks. weeks. Just college football next week, NFL the week after. It's firing back up. Uh, and we will, of course, cover some of that action in next week's Texas State Spit Talk. Uh, we have a lot of exciting things coming up on KTSW. Of course, you can hear Texas State Spit Talk every Friday, releasing at noon. Uh, you'll hear some – we have the full staff now, so you'll be able to hear some new, some new voices here on the airwaves. I plan to get Alex Gibbs on the podcast, get his take on some things, some of the newbies we have around. I can't wait to get them on here, hear their opinions, because, of course, that's what I want Texas State Spit Talk to be. I want you to be able to hear the opinions and hear the facts from guys who love Texas State athletics and other sports. So, um, of course, another thing firing up coming up this week, Bobcat Radio will be starting next Friday at August 11. 31st. August 31st. Of course, that is also later that day. You can hear the first San Marcos Rattlers broadcast. Uh, Brendan and I will be doing the uh, San Marcos Rattlers as they host the Hayes Rebels. Uh, that game, that will the pregame will start at 7.15. In that 15. noise press box. It's going to be a blast. Uh, so a lot of exciting stuff coming up here in the next few weeks from us at KTSW and at Texas State University as well. Um, that's going to do it. For here to us today here on Texas State Spit Talk, I uh, hope you all have enjoyed listening and we've enjoyed having you all. So thank you.